If your click-through ratio is high and your watch time is low, it means that you made a really interesting promise, but then you didn't deliver on it. If your click-through ratio and your watch time are both high, you did it, you gave a really interesting promise, and then you delivered. Um, and if your click-through ratio is low, but then your watch time is high, you probably made a great video, but you didn't have a great thumbnail or title that was intriguing. So those two things will really help guide you, and those are the two things that I look at on a daily basis that help make my decisions. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Golden Hour Podcast brought to you by the Polar Pro Studio. I'm your host, Dave Mays, and today's guest is Jacqueline Dallas, aka Nothing But Tech. Jacqueline is not only a content creator on YouTube with over 140,000 subscribers, but she's also the co-host of the Digital Dive Podcast. Jacqueline's journey on YouTube is unique to say the least. At only 18 years of age, she's been on the platform for over five years right now. That's right, that means she started her journey on YouTube at 13 years old. In our conversation, we talk about how she started her YouTube channel, what it was like growing up in high school being a full-time YouTuber, and what it was like having the experience of being featured in one of Casey Neistat's video at the height of his daily New York City vlogs about two years ago. In addition to learning about Jacqueline's unique journey on YouTube, we also go over all the things that she has learned along the way. But before we get started, I have to tell you about the incredible new Peter McKinnon V&D Signature Edition Mark II that have just released in addition to the Mist Edition. You're gonna have to learn more about this by going to the Polar Pro website. I will just say, every single video shooter out there is gonna wanna have one of these in their kit. I, for one, am very excited to try these out. And by the time you're listening to this podcast, chances are they're already available. So make sure to go over to PolarPro.com to check out the Peter McKinnon V&D Signature Edition Mark IIs. There's some significant upgrades with the filters as well as a new Mist Edition. You're going to have to look it up online to learn more. All right, without any further ado, let's listen in to my conversation with potentially the, yeah, the youngest guest we've had on the Polar Pro podcast, I think. Yeah, I think so. Let's listen in on my conversation with Jacqueline. All right, so we are here finally with Jacqueline Dallas from Nothing But Tech, as well as the host of the new podcast, Digital Dive Pod. Thank you so much for joining us, Jacqueline, on the Golden Hour Podcast. Thank you for having me. This has been in the works for months now. Yeah, I think our mutual friend, uh, Liron, uh, who is a YouTube expert. Uh, yeah, like a genius. Kind of, yeah, he is a, a genius for sure. Works with vidIQ and um, is just an amazing tech YouTuber himself. Uh, he linked us up. He said, Hey, you should totally have Jacqueline on your show sometime. I was like, what? And then I followed you and I was like, of course I should. And I think, dude, I that's know. so funny. I didn't know that. Wow. I, I actually didn't know that. That's really funny. Yeah. Cause I remember <laughs> you emailed me mm-hmm. what, like maybe four months ago. Yeah. I guess it was like pre pandemic even potentially. Yeah. So maybe longer. Yeah. And I was so irresponsible with getting back with good no. times. <laughs> so I apologize, but I'm glad that we finally made it work. No, it's totally fine. I mean, it, everybody's just, it's been a crazy time for everybody. And uh, I think our schedules didn't line up a couple of times, but we're finally here. And the listeners could care less because they're just happy to have you here. So uh, <laughs> yeah, they, they didn't know that this was in the works for a while. <laughs> but um, 
kind of one of the main things that you do is is YouTube, and I definitely want to talk all about that. But you're also entering into the podcast world with your new podcast, as well as about two weeks from now, roughly, you should be launching your first product. I'm not going to get into the details because I know you want to keep it kind of a secret, but um, this is, I guess, an exciting time. Techtober is is upon us. And uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, can you just give our listeners kind of in a nutshell what you do? Yeah, for sure. Um, so thank you so much for mentioning those two things because they're definitely taking up a ton of time. Um, and I'm so incredibly excited about both. So um, the podcast is already out, but my main job and like the main thing that I do is YouTube. So um, I review the latest consumer electronics. So anything from the latest iPhone to the latest Pixel phone, like the Pixel 4a. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it is focused on smartphones, but I also review things like tablets, wireless headphones. And the goal is to create entertaining but also informative content around technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've been doing that for maybe five to five and a half years now. It's definitely been a little bit. Wow. Um, yeah, it's it's crazy how long it's been, actually. It kind of went fast. But the podcast is brand new. So that has been... We started it like literally the first day of the lockdown. So like really in March. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's with a fellow YouTuber named Darsh Kathani, who's amazing. Uh, and we're co-hosts of the podcast. And it's basically a podcast around technology. And we also like dabble in internet culture and um, like how the behind the scenes of being a YouTuber actually looks and works. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's been really fun, actually. The whole podcast medium is very different than YouTube in a lot of ways, which you would have firsthand experience with uh, <laughs> having done both. What do you think? Like, is there like, um, do you prefer one platform over the other? Well, first off, I must note every podcaster that I've interviewed, you, Renee Ritchie, Tyler Stallman, Sarah Dietschy, you're the only people that ever flips the question around on on me when I do interviews <laughs> because <laughs> because you're already used to the format of like interviewing people. So I, I just wanted to note that it's so fun to interview podcasters. Um, but yeah, it's it's such a great, like side thing to do on top of other YouTube stuff because it is a completely different aspect of the creation kind of world with being able to just have full-on conversations you don't have to think about like every two or three seconds having something to engage the viewers with to to hold their attention you can let things breathe um you know I do edit these shows and I try to you know make them you know, flow together fairly well. And if there's mistakes and stuff, I do cut them out. But um, for the most part, it's still pretty raw. And that's, I mean, a lot of people already know this, you know, Joe Rogan has kind of taken over the world with podcast uh, stuff over the last several years. And then uh, even in the tech space, we're seeing a lot of people popping up. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's fun. It's, especially during the pandemic too, I've realized that this was a real blessing for me to have this job because I was able to talk to my friends and, and new friends uh, every single week. And it's actually nice to just sit down and talk to somebody, even if it's over the yeah. internet. So, Dude, I think it's funny that you mentioned um, that you do edit them because um, I really love that. I was on an episode, like a podcast, in the last couple of years. And no fault to the uh, like host of it, but I kind of assumed that it'd be edited because all the other ones I was on were edited. Mm-hmm. And during the podcast session... 
this like echo went off and there was like a ton of commotion uh-huh. and I kind of, and I restarted a sentence like thinking, okay, like he's obviously going to edit out all the commotion and all the stuff that's going on <laughs> and it wasn't edited out. So I look like a moron twofold because there's like so much like tech happening in the back and then I'm also restarting a sentence like midway through. Um, so yeah, dude, I appreciate that you're editing it, but I definitely, I'm so aligned with you. Like talking to other creators it's so nice that it having like an excuse to do it, which is the podcast. Yeah, it's exactly. Incredible. It's the it's like the modern version of like let's have coffee sometime. Uh, it's like yeah, actually can- <laughs> though, especially with so many people like getting podcasts now, it feels like almost everyone has one. I've listened to a lot of comedians' podcasts, and they interview their fellow comedians, and that's literally like they all kind of joke about it. Like it's the only way they can have a relationship with their friends because <laughs> it's like, hey, you want to come over and hang out? It's like no. Hey, you want to do my podcast? Sure. <laughs> so. Yeah, I don't, it's weird. Like it's, I feel like no creator really says no to being on a podcast. Like even if the podcast isn't like huge or like that necessarily gives them like a direct value, like in return for being on, I feel like everyone is always just like down to be on a podcast. Yeah, it's, uh, it's cross promotion from business sense. Like if anybody ever wants me to be on, I'm happy to do it because it does help just get out there and I've noticed too like have you ever searched your name on YouTube and you've got videos with like tons of views on them but if you're like featured in some other channels video those videos even if they have like way less views pop up because it's almost like YouTube wants a variety of channels with your name in it and it just helps I don't know I've noticed that like I've noticed that too actually that's interesting so I try to like think about it that way like if if people want to collab with me I'm usually always down because it's like yeah it just hooks into the algorithm if I'm going to be on somebody else's channel and they put my name in the title and it just helps but um yeah that's interesting I I never you're totally right because like I'll search sometimes because a lot of people misspell my name mm -hmm. so I always search it to like make sure that my channel comes up like even with misspellings and you're right. I just realized like a lot of the videos that are up are collaborations that I've done or people like making videos about me rather than like my videos ranking right away. Yeah. And it might only have like 20 views on it, but <laughs> because it's from another yeah. channel. Yeah. That's I don't know. Crazy. There might yeah, be something totally there. Right. We'll have to ask Leron about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like DM Leron right after this. So tell me, how did you get started in YouTube? You've been doing it for five years now, but like, are, are you a video person? Did you go to school for it? Did you have a passion for for video making or like tell me your journey on how you got onto the platform in general? Yeah. Um, so I've always really been interested in video. Um, ever since I was like super, super young, like maybe four to eight, um, I was making like these stupid like action films where I would have like ketchup as fake blood and like terrible jump cuts. And I loved making them even though they were horrible. Um, and I would kind of experienced iMovie a little bit. I was doing some green screening stuff. Um, and I was always like super interested in video, but never as like, I want this to be my career. Like I didn't really think of it like that because I was really young. So it was kind of just something that I liked. And then I also at the same time was always super interested in technology. So um, I would watch like the Apple keynotes and I would freak out if someone had like the new Samsung phone and I could play with it. Um, and I also was really interested in like software and laptops and things like that. So all of those interests kind of culminated um, when I was 13, which is like five and a half years ago now. Um, <laughs> and I really loved all the stuff. My grandma was also calling me constantly for tech help. And that was kind of the catalyst for it. I was like, all right, I'm sending her these short little videos um, on 
like iMessage to help her reset her email password or to <laughs> um, how to take a photo or something, right? So I would send them to her and she found them helpful. She would share them with like her card friends. They often found them helpful. And I was like, you know what? Like I love doing it. There's probably other people, other grandmas out there, right? That want <laughs> tech help. Other and grandmas. that was kind of, the, <laughs> that was the catalyst, right? So I uploaded my first video and it was definitely hitting the non-tech savvy audience at first. Like that was kind of the audience that I decided I wanted to help. It was the audience that I felt comfortable with because I wasn't necessarily incredibly knowledgeable yet in how to edit a video. So showing a super simple thing like how to add a crossfade was much more in my realm and I was kind of learning as I was doing it. But around three to six months in, I was not as fulfilled by creating the non-tech savvy type videos. Like some of some of them were getting like some of them rather were geared towards the tech audience and those videos I really did enjoy making. Like my first video ever was very much geared towards a tech audience. It was like a microphone review, even though it was horrible. Um, and then other videos weren't. And I just, I sat down and I realized like, hey, I definitely prefer making the videos that are much more tech-based. So I started doing that. And at the same time, the channel was getting some traction. I would say like maybe 400 subscribers. And some companies started reaching out. Um, very small companies, like they would send me a $10 pair of headphones or something. Um, and I thought that was like the coolest thing in the world that I was able to get like free tech products. Um, and I... <laughs> And I started working with them. Like I would do a USB type C hub review or like things like that. And I just kind of kept going with it. And by the end of year one, I had met a bunch of other YouTubers. I think I met Armando in the first year. Um, and he kind of took me under his wing and helped me a lot with growing the channel and also maybe considering the business side. Because at that time, I wasn't really as interested in profiting, but I was interested in breaking even so I could buy stuff. Um, and he helped me a lot and he told me about affiliate and he actually got me a sponsorship deal with Amazon, I think like a year and a half into my career, which is crazy to think about now, like that they worked with me back then. But, um, I, a year in had like maybe 3000 subscribers, which at the time like felt pretty big. Um, and I know now like some channels like grow overnight and get like a million, but in the tech niche in like 2016, that was like pretty decent growth. And then by the end of year two, I had like maybe 10,000 subscribers. So it was pretty gradual, but it definitely was exponential. And I really loved it. So I was making like weekly videos. I got more into phone reviews and I got into a community of other tech YouTubers, like a 50 person group chat. And we would all talk and do hangouts. And it was like the first time in my life that I had a group of people that were my friends that were also interested in technology. Because all my other friends, I had other common interests with like sports or, um, like random things, right? But none of them were really interested in technology. Um, and it was like the first time that I really felt like a genuine technology connection. So that plus my love for making videos really kept me in it. And then I discovered like tutorials, I think probably like year and a half in, I started using Final Cut, maybe even a year in. Um, and obviously like from there, I've put in so many hours of work to like actually know what I'm doing in an editing software. So now it's kind of like the bread and butter of the videos. But definitely at first, I wasn't like a really a strong editor or a strong filmmaker. Like both of those skills were learned on the job very much. So one of the things that I, <laughs> that I didn't do, because um, we've only known each other for a couple of months, you know, ever since Leon connected us, I just sorted by oldest on your channel. And okay. Uh, yeah, you have videos like five years back and I didn't realize how young you were when you got started. That is so amazing. So young. Yeah, dude, I was like a baby. I look back at those videos now, like my voice is so high. I had braces on. But that's, um, but you're like literally, I, you, I'm the, like kind of on the edge of millennial, I guess, cause I'm 30. And so like, I remember 
in high school when somebody told me about a magic trick they learned on a website called YouTube. And so I was like, what's YouTube? Like, I remember when YouTube was brand new, I was like a sophomore or something. And like the fact that you have been blessed with your age being born when YouTube already existed during that time, you're able to really like while you're in school hone these skills and learn how to be a YouTuber. And if you go back, it's really amazing how it seems like a lot of the tech community, like you said, just really embraced um, you and like working with you and collaborating with you, helping you. I, I think a lot of us probably see ourselves in you and the fact that you were blessed to be born, you know, a little later to where you could start a channel at so young is pretty awesome. Yeah, I and- mean, yeah, I, I definitely got extremely like blessed and lucky that that happened. Um, I re- actually remember watching Magic Card Tricks also. Like, I was definitely <laughs> in very early stage YouTube. Like, when I was a kid, I was watching a ton of YouTube. Wow. And I was kind of born in the generation of, like, it wasn't necessarily a big thing my whole life. Like, probably for people that are, like, 10 mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. it has always been something that's in their life. But totally. it definitely started to happen. Like, I remember being older enough to remember when like one of my friends got an iPod touch and I like didn't really know the value of it at the time I was like debating getting an iPod touch or getting like a knockoff at Target and like I didn't know Apple as a brand in that way yet um so it definitely happened at a point in my life where like I I know that like I remember the times pre-tech like pre-current tech but um yeah I did get really lucky and I actually I tried the YouTube thing a couple times before the tech channel just with like random videos. Um, so I definitely was kind of very into YouTube culture and very in tune with like what worked and what didn't on the platform because I watched it so much. But it's interesting, actually, I don't know if you've seen it. There's like this new generation that is even younger than me right now that's getting into tech. And it feels like, again, the community has definitely embraced them. Like there's this one guy um, that's 14 and um, Marquez checked out his channel and he's like great and I think that he'll definitely be big on the platform so it definitely feels like the age of getting in is younger and younger which I don't know necessarily if that's like a great thing like (laughs) I did just recently see something about like um, self-esteem correlated to like being online when you're like 11 or 12 and like posting selfies and like feeling inadequate so are you talking about the social dilemma movie (laughs) I did watch that but that was this was unrelated this was like just an article about like selfies and tiktok and how Mm. like all these young people are able to incredibly like easily create content where they just like put their phone down and it's a vertical video and they're exposed to so much of it that they're able to easily do it right um and they were saying like yeah, it's definitely more creativity, but they also don't know like the impacts on mental health yet because you're so young at that time. So I think for me it yeah. worked because um, I had like a really supportive system and it also wasn't like I gained overnight fame. Like if I was 13 and I gained like a million subscribers overnight, mm-hmm. it would have been really hard, right? Because I would have been like, there would have been so much pressure to produce. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the fact that it was so gradual kind of, I got accustomed to like the different levels. Like I got accustomed to getting one comment a day and then I got accustomed to getting 10 comments a day. Yeah. And it was very gradual, but on TikTok, right? The fame sometimes is yeah, overnight. It really is. And the kids are so young. So like imagine being like a 13 year old one day having no followers. And then like mm. next day there's millions of people writing what they want from you. I can imagine that that isn't necessarily the best thing for your mental health or like yeah. your creativity. Cause you're kind of boxed into creating content when you're still exploring at that age. Yeah, it's real scary to think, and especially if you are TikTok famous and you're a girl and you go to high school and everybody knows that you're famous, like that would just be really hard. So, yeah. uh, I mean, even for me, right? Like, I didn't, I did not tell people about my channel in the beginning. mm -hmm. Um, 
So when I was a freshman, no one really knew about my YouTube channel. And I remember a video did really well. And I also worked with Samsung on a commercial. So I was like very much <laughs> like in it at that point. Yeah. Um, and the commercial started getting played and people saw it and they had no idea I had this YouTube channel and they were like texting me and they were like, what's going on? Like, are you a YouTuber? Like, and I was like, all right, I guess I have to tell people, but there definitely is. And I don't know, like if you, since you were older, when you started your channel, if you noticed this, like people kind of like make fun of it or don't necessarily believe in it until you make it. And then yeah. they really like want to know about it. And they think it's like the coolest thing ever. Um, <laughs> yes, it's like, absolutely. it's a weird thing, right? It's like a double-edged sword of like, they think it's really cool only when you have followers, but not the act of creation. Like they only care about like the vanity metrics. And yeah, I definitely experienced that a little bit. I would imagine that that's the same for anybody like a musician or an actress or whatever. It's like, Oh, that, that music thing, you still doing that? You still you still doing that music <laughs> thing? Or and then, you know, if you get successful or whatever, then everybody thinks it's cool. Um Yeah, I don't know. I think a lot of people just don't value the process of it. And um I think on average most people who get into something maybe don't follow through and like put in the hard work, but it's more of the exception for those who, who put in the hard work and are willing to do it for the long haul. And here you are already now um, at a young age still, and you've had what, like six years of experience essentially on the platform. So, um, five to six years, right? So yeah, like it will, it will be six years next February. So like five and a half right now. Yeah. And so like I'm 30 and I've only been on YouTube for three years. So like you're already beating me in terms of experience, (laughs) but I have, you know, 12 years of video experience. You know. Yeah, I was just gonna say, what did you do um, pre YouTube? Were you like more on the video side or more on the marketing side? Uh, all video. I was a filmmaker, director, did um, freelance, you know, stuff, tons of weddings and uh, documentaries and things like that. So, and then before that, I was a magician for six years when I was a kid uh, and in my early teens and late wow, teens. Wow, that's sick. So, or right, break this down for me though. I can't ever imagine being a wedding videographer, photographer. Like the stress <laughs> of that is unreal. How did you manage it for so long? Uh, the first thing that I really took from it was like the people that we're working for are, are like consumers. They're not um, professionals. So um, they don't really know what a good shot is. They don't actually know what a good film is. So as long as like they're in the video and it looks decent and the music is good, they're going to be so thrilled to just like see themselves, you know, in a really pretty (laughs) video. So, um, and I, with two other guys started a company and we all three were always shooting together. So if I did happen to like miss an important moment, usually one of the other guys was capturing it. So having multiple people involved definitely helped, but I never, I never got stressed with it. Um, maybe just cause I just started young and that's all I ever did. So, but after about no, six I years feel like of that's it, that's so stressful because like with a YouTube video, if you like mess up a B-roll shot or it's out of focus, you just reshoot it the next day and maybe you have to like pull an all nighter to get it <laughs> done true. in time. But like, if you miss like the actual shot, like it's over for you. I think uh, I was addicted to that, uh, adrenaline rush a little bit and that's why I've totally embraced YouTube and I love the kind of adrenaline of like if I stay up all night and finish this video I know it'll perform better than if I wait two days so um, yeah I have the same thing with that 
But I've been trying to not pull all-nighters anymore, especially now that I'm working for Indie Mogul, which is more of a, like, company where there's people and I'm just getting paid a salary and, like, it's a nine-to-five type of a thing. And I've done a couple all-nighters already with them and my boss, Ted, he was like, Dave, what are you doing? Go home. Don't, it's like, it doesn't matter. You don't have to stay up all night. Like, I'm like, yeah, but the video will do better tomorrow. He's like, it doesn't matter. Just go. <laughs> so That's crazy. Yeah, I feel like we're like the hardest bosses on ourselves. Like <laughs> I, With iOS, um, it just came out and mm-hmm. TikTok actually influenced that, it, um, that so many people were interested in it. It went viral on TikTok. Mm-hmm. And then because of that, the search traffic went over into YouTube. So every video on iOS 14 was like blowing up. Yeah. And I saw that it was doing really well. And I was like, all right, like, if I don't post this video today, it won't do well by tomorrow. And I ended up just like pulling all nighter and getting it done. Yeah. Um, smart <laughs> yeah but. you just never know like it, it's so timely with youtube and especially because we're in product videos i feel like it's really timely like if it's like a commentary or something like it could wait the mm. extra day but like if it's product based then it is like super important that you get it up on time i think uh when you look at some of the top players in the game you got to remember like you as a solo creator you're keeping up with with people that have you know maybe even five to ten employees so like the fact that you're able to crank something out so quick is actually like really impressive and that's what you have to do unfortunately when you're getting started and you know even though you've got over a hundred thousand you're about to you're gonna hit two two hundred thousand hopefully soon but um thank you yeah like even then like you're still kind of just trying to keep up with the linus tech tips and like all that kind of world and by being first it gives you a leg up and uh yeah it definitely does like a huge like um, and it's actually a little bit less now, but it used to be companies like, um, Samsung or other companies mm-hmm. treated YouTube and traditional media differently. So traditional media, like the wall street journal would get like a pre-briefing before the event, but YouTubers weren't, didn't. And it was yeah. actually better because, um, if you had like the work ethic, you would succeed. So I would go to the event and it would be like a note launch and I'd film the whole thing and then I'd stay up all night and I'd post a video and most people didn't do that. And the video ended up like getting 300,000 views in a day because there was like such a limited quantity of it on YouTube. But now Samsung has kind of, and other companies have respected YouTube in the same way that they respect traditional media. Mm -hmm. So now a lot of the time they'll give you a pre-briefing where you'll get like a hands-on like five days before the device is coming out. So then you have time to edit the video. And that's great because it's a lot less stressful, but it's also, it also means that everyone's posting at the same time when the embargo lifts. So you don't necessarily like, there's like everyone's bombarded with 15 videos in their feed. So being first doesn't matter as much as like having a unique narrative now matters so much more. Yeah. I, I've talked about this with a lot of creators on the podcast that are in this niche and in this world. And it's like that I'm, I do camera stuff and it's like that with the cameras too. Um, and yeah, it's interesting. I've found as the companies are so, are now doing this with the embargoes and stuff, it's almost better. And you can sometimes even get more attention like a week later when, when all of the like first look videos are, are out and done. It's like, if you have a unique angle and a unique perspective on your video that can come out a week later and it's like really well made, um, then it might perform really well. Like for example, we got the A7S three like two weeks ago or something. And I think they announced it like over a month ago at this point, but I was like, let's just compare it instead of doing a review, which I know won't get any views. Cause like everybody already did reviews. Let's do something 
different with like the Alexa and the Venice. And like, so we blended all these things and it turned out it, it worked pretty well. So, um, and like we missed an embargo date and because we missed it, I was able to see what people were saying about that item and like, and shift my whole angle on the video based on what it seemed like everybody was wanting to know about it. So almost being like a day late to see and judge how people are reacting and to like manipulate what your script is a little bit could maybe work. I don't know. Yeah. I actually, I've done that for the last couple, like a lot of people will go with like the hands on. Um, and I used to do something like six things before buying and those did really well when they were not, um, embargoed and put at the same time. But now something that a lot of people don't do, but now it's kind of becoming more of a trend are camera comparison videos which are kind of like a staple of my channel. So people come to kind of expect that more so than a hands-on. So when a device comes out now, I'm more likely to do that or like a camera test or something. And when I've gone that route and haven't gone like the hands-on route, the click-through ratio and everything has been much higher. Um, Whereas I'll do the hands-on, let's say, the click-through ratio is normally like pretty consistent, but the watch time is so much lower because I'm just repeating what a bunch of other videos have already said. And I'm not at the level yet of being like the first video that people watch for most people. Like they're probably going to watch an MKBHD video or a Mr. Who's a Boss before. And some people do watch my videos first, but like the majority of my audience wouldn't. So then it becomes like, all right, what can I add? Like, let me add, and I actively do this, like two pieces of information that they probably won't see in another video just so they feel like there was some value coming. But oftentimes the best way to do that is by being a day late and seeing what other people have done. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's interesting. I love it. I think that's just a really clever way to do it. And uh, I think if you're getting started, these are all things you can you can learn from, especially if you don't have the luxury of getting the item you know, before it comes out anyways. It's like if you get it a month later by literally buying it at a store when it becomes available, you can still... You can still get a decent amount of views from a new product if you do something that's not on the platform already that's unique. And I do think, yeah. I was going to say, I do think just you being yourself and doing a straightforward like hands-on review, that also can still serve as its own unique piece because it still is, you know, it's Jacqueline. It's your own thing. It's not Marquez. And everybody is distinctively unique. But Yeah, that's uh, totally valid. But by doing... That, in addition to, uh, say, a camera comparison, you know, um, that's just a smart way to do it. So, Yeah, I think there are certain videos that you do to grow your brand and other videos that you do to grow your audience. So, Mm -hmm. like, what I mean by that is, like, a video to grow my brand would be the hands-on video because it shows that I got access to the phone and I'm covering it and I'm being thorough. So that's going to reach my existing audience. I'm probably not going to get a ton of new audience members because they've probably already seen a bunch of videos but like Mm. my core audience will watch that video so that's a video that very distinctly grows my brand but then there are other videos that you make that grow your audience that are a new narrative that people outside of your subscriber base are also going to want to watch and those Mm. videos for me are like the hands-on like the hands-on a day later with some new facts or the camera comparison um and i think that both are really necessary and valid to being um like to having a long-term career on youtube because one of the biggest things with tech that i love is that the career longevity in tech is much more than it is in a bunch of other niches Mm -hmm. Um, because you aren't the only one on camera. The product is kind of sharing the spotlight. So there's more interest and more intrigue for a longer period of time. But because of that, I also think that aiming for a video to go viral is not a successful strategy at all. Like (laughs) creating, like creating a short term clickbait title of like, um, 
let's say like iPhone 12 sucks. If you don't actually believe that, like, yes, you will get a lot of clicks and you will get a um, maybe high watch time of people anticipating when you're going to say what's bad about it. But if you want to do this 10 years from now, which I do, then it doesn't make sense to do that. You're better off getting a video that gets like 50,000 views, but a lot of the people will end up subscribing from that. These are all great t- t- uh, tips. You need to have a YouTube uh, education channel too, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's funny because a lot of the stuff, um, it's just from learning. And then the other person that has helped a ton is Leron. Yeah. Um, like I had this exact discussion with him a few weeks back and I was saying to him like, what do you do if you just don't get the device um, and you're getting it like three weeks later or something? And he was like, if you don't get the device and you get it much later, then you need to do something in your title and thumbnail that suggests that you're doing the extra thing that no one else is doing. So if everyone's doing 10 tips around the Note 20 Ultra, you do 100. Like, <laughs> make it clear that your video is going to be the one that offers more value. And yeah. I was like, wow, that is so smart. Because, of course, like if you see Note 20 10 tips next to 100 tips, and they're both <laughs> the same video length... Yeah. You're probably going to click on the 100 tips one because it just inherently feels like more value. Oh my gosh. Can I steal that for camera reviews, please? That sounds like a great <laughs> idea. <laughs> yeah, dude, Leon's the best. I think uh, something that's interesting about your career is because you were so at such a developing point in your life when you started and now you're an adult, like th- people obviously change like a ton in those five years. Uh you know, how have you, like when you originally set out to do this to now as, you know, (laughs) an adult young lady, like how (laughs) have you, uh, kind of shifted your, your focus or like, you know, retargeted what you're achieving? Like, what are your goals now compared to what they were five years ago? Yeah. Great question. Um, so much has changed. Um, I think like we can start on a personal level because obviously like a ton has changed in that realm as well. So when I started the channel, um, I wasn't really that comfortable on camera, didn't really know how to tell a good story. Um, and those two things have really shifted a ton. Um, I've done a lot of public speaking alongside YouTube. And that's something that if you told me like five years ago, like I would have been like, Oh, like I'm down to do that. And then I would have gotten on the stage and I would have been like shaking. Like I definitely like didn't have enough experience or feel confident enough to do any of that. So I think like, the five and a half years, and especially in the last year, I would say, like, my confidence and, like, on-camera presence has just changed a ton, and it's just because I post a new video every week, and also, in the last year, I did a ton of public speaking um, at a bunch of universities, like MIT and Harvard and Cornell, but then also at, like, international conferences, so uh, Power Video in Northern Ireland and Web Summit in Portugal, and those events, like, from September to end of December, I was doing all of those, And it was a crazy time of like literally like public speaking all the time, posting 16 videos in October. And the Web Summit one was really, the Web Summit and the Power Video one were like huge for me because Power Video was my first keynote speech. So I was very nervous and it definitely like got my footing and like, okay, I love public speaking. It's so interesting. And then the Web Summit one was to an audience of 15,000 people. And it was like the first time that like the scale of my YouTube audience was like in real life in a way. Um, And that was, like, mind-blowing. So those two things definitely, like, created, like, a definitely, like, a shift in my personality. Also, like, YouTube in general just has pushed me out of my comfort zone so many different times. But from a business side as well, it definitely has changed a lot. So when I was 13, I never really thought that it was going to become a career or job. I didn't really know, like, the ins and outs of making money on YouTube. I was kind of just doing it for fun. And then, as I said, a year in or a year and a half in, I met Armando, and he helped me a lot. 
Um, and that kind of changed like my career goals a little bit of like, I always want to create quality content. And if I can have a job that I love, that's incredible. And how do I do that? And it was a lot of like just entrepreneurial things of like trying and failing and um, pitching companies on videos and then not delivering and then sometimes over delivering and getting underpaid and like just figuring out like what can I do to like get companies to be return clients? Because in the beginning, like a random company would reach out to me with like a $50 sponsorship and I'd be like, yes, I'm game on that. Um, and obviously like I was spending like 15 hours doing it and I also didn't have like the best video quality. So like they probably weren't that happy on their end, although for $50, like anything is pretty good. Um, and I wasn't really happy on my end cause I was putting in a ton of work and then it was kind of like, okay, like obviously that doesn't work. I think I should do less sponsorships and do more meaningful collaborations. Um, and I started working with like bigger brands every couple of months and that kind of supported, um, me eventually getting an office space and um, traveling a lot. And then the other aspect of it was affiliate, which is something that I haven't really put a ton of time into. And I think if I did, there'd be a lot more returns, but sponsorships and public speaking definitely makes up much more of my income. And the other thing that I'll tease a little bit, but can't talk about yet is this new project I'm working on, which is direct to consumer. So one of the biggest things for YouTubers is having recurring revenue and connecting with your audience and providing value to them. So I never wanted to be like the YouTuber that like was releasing a different t-shirt every day and being like, buy NPT merch. Like I never wanted to do that. <laughs> so I, I always like held off from direct to consumer. Uh -huh. um, and now there's actually this product that I think my audience will really like, and I haven't really seen it done before. Um, and it is both those things that I just mentioned of like recurring and something that I think provides value. Because I think like if you're going to ask your audience to buy something, you better be giving them double the value that they're paying at least. Um, so the last couple of months has been figuring out like, how do I make this personal? How do I make it so when they get this, they feel like I over-delivered and they're excited? And how do I create a community around it? And it's been those three things that I've been heavily working on and I think it's finally there. So I could see direct-to-consumer in the next year or so becoming a much more significant portion of my income, which is better for me as a creator because it's more consistent, but it's also better for my audience because it will mean like less sponsorships and less other things that I have to do. Um, so I'm super amped about that, but that's something that I wouldn't have even considered when I started. Um, knowing like how to launch a physical product is like a totally different ball game than just making videos online. So in the past five years, the growth is like both a person, but also like a business person has been like huge. And I, it's in large part, honestly, to like the creative community and them being so accepting and like teaching me. And it's one of the reasons why I do so many like free consultations and things like that with other YouTubers that are coming up because I feel like mm -hmm. without that, I wouldn't be where I am right now. Dang, that's amazing how your journey has just been all over the place, but you've had some incredible mentors along the way. How did you like, how did you find these people that, that helped guide you along the way? Because I think there's a lot of people listening who are just getting started who are like, well, I don't know any YouTubers in my town. You know, maybe they live in a more rural area or something. How did you end up connecting with people? Because it's not like you live next to all these people or anything. Yeah, not at all. It's all been like virtual. Um, the first connection, like the first group chat that I was put into, it was all YouTubers pretty similar size to mine. And there were some brands that just like trusted in what I was doing, like Samsung and some others. When I had like maybe 10 to 20,000 followers and they invited me to events. And at those events, obviously, that's like a prime networking opportunity. Um, or not even like, I hate the word networking, but like a friendship opportunity, right? Where you can like meet other people because if you're all at the event, um, there's some level of like, okay, you obviously know what you're doing because you're getting invited to this event. Like it's a private event. 
Um, and that's the first um, pack that I went to. I met Marquez, Your Average Consumer, um, Dom Esposito, and all of them kind of became like friends of mine, especially Dom had featured me in a couple videos, then I met Danny Wiggett and all these other people, and it was very much like, okay, like I'm part of this community now, we're all good friends, we're all like, we were all in group chats, we were all like going to events and stuff, so it kind of happened rapidly in that sense. Like I don't even really remember like when – um, I became like friends with all of them and like became like, oh, sure. like if we're both at an event, like they'll come up and say hi. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that a huge part of that is just like the nature of the tech industry of having so many press events and stuff um, and needing help focusing a thumbnail or things like that. Like it just becomes a really collaborative space. So um, meeting all those people is great. And then also I think it's like not being afraid to ask because you never know. So like obviously not overstepping, but like I would text Armando and I'd be like, hey, like, I just got an email from this company. I really want to work with them. Like, do you think it's a mistake if I offer affiliate only? And like, he would be open to responding to that. And if he wasn't, he would just be like, Hey, I'm so sorry. I'm on a shoot this week. But I feel like sometimes people have these connections um, or like they're friends with people and they don't want to overstep. So they don't ask for things. But in reality, the other person would be happy to help. And it's definitely like, you don't want to ask too many things and like, you have to like kind of feel it out. Um, But I think like in a friendship, like both of you are open to helping each other. So like I would help, um, Kevin by like writing an article late at night and he would help me by like giving me advice or like things like that. So it was definitely like much more friends and much less like networking and like trying to like a transactional partnership. It was much more like we're all friends. We're all in the tech space. We're all trying to do this thing. Let's all help each other, which it still very much is actually like, I don't know if you feel this too in like the photo and video space, but tech specifically is like one of the most accepting and open communities on the platform in my opinion. (laughs) Yeah. I think uh, there's a lot of crossover for sure in the camera you know, filmmaking photo space because the cameras and the gimbals and the drones, they are technology. So it kind of is its own niche inside the tech space. Um, And usually all the tech YouTubers also happen to be camera nerds too, because you're obviously shooting videos of the tech that you're talking about. So therefore, you kind of have to also understand lighting, composition, lenses, cameras all that type of stuff so um unless you only shoot on mobile phones which there are some people that do that uh, and kind of embrace the look of it because you're just shooting phone like reviews on phones on about phones with phones i don't know but uh yeah, no, i know what you mean yeah i feel like that was maybe a little bit more so a thing earlier right like i feel like denny wiggett used to do that all the time i haven't actually mm-hmm. seen a channel recently do it are there still channels doing that no, I was literally just making that up. I, <laughs> I was just thinking. I there was a guy that we interviewed uh, on the show who who only shot on mobile phones, but then he recently bought a DSLR and yeah, I'm, you know, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure you're right. There's probably like one or two that are still doing it, or maybe even more. Um, I mean, if you're getting started fresh, like at the very beginning, then that's all you got, and that's totally fine. But for I sure, think, I mean, it's better than like a hundred dollar camcorder that I started on. Like the phones have gotten so good that like now it's that you're true. better off just shooting with that. I know, but it's just that depth of field uh, and also just having separate audio and syncing that in post and stuff. Like it's just hard to beat that in terms of the yeah, production it's kind of quality. Inconvenient. So. It's definitely a little more inconvenient to shoot in a phone. Also, um, I feel like it looks very phone-esque even though they've gotten better. Yeah, um, exactly. But yeah, I mean... Yeah, I think you're right, though, because, like, in tech, also, you're expected to have really good quality. So I feel like the tech and photo community are, like, very interlaced. But one thing that I just wanted to say that I think, like, a lot of people who are listening 
maybe like, man, I, I've made, you know, hundreds of videos just like Jacqueline, but I'm just not a part of my, you know, community or my niche. One thing that is different that, that you did that I want people to realize is that you, re- you reached out, you went to events, you actually interacted with people, you actually talked to them, joined, uh, you know, groups, joined Discord you know, groups or Slack groups or whatever you're doing. I don't know if it's Discord or, or Facebook. Yeah, or what, it was but. actually Google Hangouts at the time because it was so yeah. early on in the career. Um, yeah, you're totally right. I mean, you have to put yourself out there a little bit. There are times where it's like exceptionally awkward and you just got to push through. Um, there are also <laughs> other times where you don't necessarily um, like know if you're going to get any return, like if it's going to be like a worthy connection. Um, but like, there's been times where like, I'm really like, I'm exhausted and it's been a really busy week and I don't feel like going to an event, but like 99.9% of the time, I'm super happy. I went to the event. Like I went to an event one time I was in, um, New York for a press event and Sarah Dietschy was hosting a live creator, um, I guess like a podcast maybe, and also like a pop-up shop. And she texted me and we had worked together maybe like one time. She was like, Hey, like, I know you're like in New York. Would you, um, be open to coming and helping me film this. And I was like, yeah, like for sure. And I ended up going, it was like a free day off. And I was like, like, this obviously is incredible. I'm so amped to do this. And I ended up just like going and actually like shooting the video for her. And like from there, like we'd formed like a pretty like good friendship. And like now I would consider like one of my really good friends in the tech space. So I feel like you never know like what's going to lead to another opportunity. And you also just like never know if you're going to like click with someone and become good friends with them if you don't meet them enough. Like if you're meeting them in a very stressful context of like, 40 minutes to shoot everything for the new video. Like they're probably not going to be super conversational because you both have to shoot your video. But if you go to like the after party that night and you're eating like pizza and you're just like talking casually, then I think there's a much higher chance of like realizing, Hey, like we connect. Mm -hmm. And I feel like people in the tech space are like not egotistical at all. Like just because someone has a million subscribers, like doesn't mean that they're going to feel like any better than someone that has 10,000. Like it's very much a very great community. I don't know if that's, if it's like that in other industries I went to, one time a much more beauty guru type event mm-hmm. and it was a totally different environment <laughs> i walked in and everyone had like expensive glasses on and they all have like photographers and they're posing and no one's <laughs> asking anyone to like ha- like uh move out of the way so they can get the shot they're literally just like standing in like the space where they want to be like it was a very different vibe <laughs> didn't feel like anyone was friends so i don't know if that's like representative of the entire makeup industry but it does feel like sure other industries outside of tech are a little bit harder to break into and a little bit more like focused on vanity metrics and being like, Oh, like if you don't have a hundred K, like I don't want to hang out with you type thing. It feels like tech isn't like that at all. <laughs> well, yeah, I think a lot of the people that listen to this, uh, aren't going to maybe experience that the photography filmmaking community is, is very, uh, open. And, uh, you know, for the most part, I, I haven't had any, um, bad experiences personally. But one thing that I think is important to note is that you were putting yourself in situations like when you were super tired and you didn't want to go to the event, but you you put yourself out there to have the opportunity to get lucky. And I think there's a, a lot, there's this video called um, Is Success Luck or Hard Work by Veritasium that came out like four weeks ago, The Success Paradox. And okay. The, the kind of message behind it is like in a super competitive capitalistic world, the tiniest dif- uh, advantage can make all the difference. So he kind of breaks down almost the science of luck in terms of success. And it's, it's kind of like you didn't choose to be born in this era. Like you could have been born 100 years ago, but you happen yeah. to be born now. 
and you you know started YouTube at the age that you did, which has led to where you are now. You happened to be at an event where you met Sarah Dici, um, but you went to the event, you put in the hard work, but you were also giving yourself opportunities to get lucky by going to places where luck you know could happen. And yeah, that- I mean, I love that. I there's a book that I read, or. Uh, actually, I never actually fully finished reading it, but um, there's this YouTuber that made a summary on it, and I watched that, Full Transparency, but it's called The Unfair Advantage, and it's all about, like, basically what you're saying, like, everyone has, like, these different advantages that put them in a spot to get lucky, and it's, like, figuring out what your advantages are and then utilizing them, and to, like, mm. go with that, there's this whole thing about, um, like, the third door, and it's basically the idea of, like, there are two ways to get successful. There's either just, like, doing the normal thing, um doing like the nine to five, which there's nothing wrong with it, but like um, maybe never reaching like the success that you want unless you have connections in the space. And mm. then there's the third door, like the other door where you can like pop in a window, right? That That's like the analogy they use, like something <laughs> that no one else sees, like go in the back door at the club. Like there's, there's always a way to get in that isn't the publicized way. And it's often the people that are able to figure out what that way is that are successful. Like, um, when I met Casey, who definitely has changed my career in a lot of ways, and he's an incredible guy and an incredible friend, um, that was a Casey long time Neistat. in the process. Yeah, Casey Neistat. I mm-hmm. don't think that people realize how long it was before we actually like met and hung out. Like, I worked for, I did a video for Beam. I reached out to Casey like mm-hmm. maybe a year before I met him, and I was like, "Hey, like, I love your videos." Maybe even it was probably longer, like a year and a half. And he was like, "Hey, like, I don't have anything available right now, but talk to Jack, who like worked with Casey." And they had me make a couple of videos for Beam. Um, and it maybe didn't feel like much at the time. I was stoked even to get like any more response. But I did that. And then like a year later, he launched 368. And um, he said he wanted to work with smaller creators. And I posted a video being like, Dear Casey, I want to work with you. And I like gave like a quick like elevator pitch of like what I do. Um, and he saw that video and he posted about it, which was so incredibly nice of him on his Twitter. And like he followed me from there. And it was a really cool thing. And then six months went by and nothing happened. Mm-hmm. And then August, August arrived, um, which is such a weird way of saying it, it was August. Um, and <laughs> Samsung had an event um, and I tweeted and I was like, hey, I'm going to be in New York City for the Samsung event. Does anyone want to hang out like any other creatives? And he was like, hey, come to the event with me. And it was like this full year and a half to two year process of like first making initial contact with him and then actually meeting and becoming mm-hmm. friends with him. So I feel like a lot of people don't realize like nothing happens overnight. Like you're not going to have a YouTuber that you really like immediately most of the time, like hang out with you and collaborate with you. Because when you're like a bigger YouTuber, you kind of have to vet people because it's your reputation on the line as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So you can't just like work with anyone that emails you. So I feel like that you have to like, there's ways to get in, like get the results and the connections that you want without being like following the exact path. I guess is what I'm saying. Like they're working with Sarah that one time of like helping her shoot that event that alleviated a problem for her that she was having and then she was more likely to want to collaborate with me after that because she saw that I was, like, really interested in helping her and I was interested in video. And that's something that I feel like a lot of people would say no to, like, being at a shoot for, like, eight hours, um, mm-hmm. like, sitting on the floor holding a camera. But doing that created a friendship, right? So I think that there's yeah. – you never know what's going to, like, be the spark that changes your life or changes your career. And I think the people that are successful just, quote-unquote, get lucky because they put so much – things out into the universe and then one of them just clicks well now that you bring that up i 
did a quick search on YouTube and I remember that video with you in it and I didn't realize that was you and that's amazing. Uh August 13th, 2018, meeting yeah, one of my favorite my YouTubers. We'll put a link in the show notes, but Jacqueline was essentially front and center featured in Casey's video. Um, and I remember watching this cause I, I, I saw it at the end Ninja and, uh, the whole Samsung event too and all that. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, that was crazy to even like be in a video with, um, Ninja guy was also there. Like, um, <laughs> that's amazing. And yeah, it's crazy. It's so funny how you and Sarah have like similar tra- uh, trajectories there where, with yeah. Casey, like helping. I just talked your... about that. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I, I actually just had Sarah on the podcast last week. The episode's mm-hmm. not live yet. But I was saying, like, we're, like, in, like, the very small subset of people that Casey has, like, really helped and shouted out their channel in that huge way. Like, he's so great in the creative community to so many people. But, like, mm-hmm. getting a shout-out is, like, such an incredible thing. And, like, no one, like, he would never have to do it for anyone. He's done it so many times, like, for different up-and-coming creators. Like, I think he's done it, like, three or four times now, which is a lot like, to make a dedicated video about someone. Um, and that video, yeah, in a lot of ways it changed my life. Um, I also got to like really become like good friends with him and talk to him and stuff from that, which to me was a lot cooler than like the actual video because he, I think it's just an incredibly talented and hardworking guy. Um, yeah. So you never know, right? There's no way to know like what's going to be like the thing that sets it off. Like, for example, let's go back to, um, that 14 year old YouTuber that, um, loves Marquez and like got into it because of Marquez. He was on a podcast with someone named Viper. And he was talking about Marquez. Yeah, you probably know Viper. Um, And he was talking about Marquez on the podcast. And then Viper tweeted at MKBHD and was like, hey, you should check this kid out. And Marquez, like, subscribed to his channel from that. And I'm sure that (laughs) uh, that kid, like, didn't realize at the time, like, that if he did that podcast, it would lead to Marquez following him. So you just never know. Like, you just have to put yourself out there a lot. Well, I think uh, we're coming up on the end of our podcast here. Um, There's a lot of amazing information that we've kind of gone over here and i think the overall message is pretty clear it's just go create stuff go make stuff and put yourself out there i think one of the things when i've collaborated with other um youtubers who are maybe starting out the thing that i look out the the thing that i look at when i decide if i want to like collaborate with somebody is like are they actually putting in the work and when you look at their instagram or their youtube and you see like, oh, dang, they're posting every week. It's like, oh, okay, they're actually serious. And, you know, I'm, I can, let's do, you know, let's do something because they're actually taking this seriously. And yeah, I think you that's, want someone I, that like cares about it. I think that's another thing that like, that you've done that has allowed a lot of these people to, who are, you know, way, you know, more uh, ahead than you in terms of just growth and uh, whatever, like Casey, Experience, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, oh, sh- this girl actually like, knows what she's doing and she's actually putting in the work i will absolutely promote her stuff because like from his perspective if he's unleashing his audience and exposing his audience to you then he wants to be able to trust that you're gonna actually follow through and give you know keep making for content. sure so, yeah it can, it's got to be like a, an endorsement that goes through like if he was constantly endorsing people that like either like we're posting insane things or like just not posting, it would not be good for him. Like it's very much, that's why like, I feel like people should never like be upset or take offense when someone doesn't want to work with you. That's like maybe a bigger creator because you just don't know, like as like a bigger channel, there's a lot of like trust that you're putting in the person that you're working with because you have to trust that they're not going to be controversial and they're going to deliver. Like there's a lot of elements that people just don't really think about. 
because they know that they're not controversial. But like out of every 10 that contact, there's probably one that like is doing something that's a little sketchy or will do something that's sketchy. And you're putting like your name <laughs> on their brand. Right. So yeah, it's yeah. tough. I feel like people don't realize that a lot of the time they're not saying no because they don't think that you're good enough or your content's not good. They just have to like, um, like protect their own personal brand. Yeah, and they've they've got a schedule too. Sometimes those big people like they might be four four to five, maybe even like ten videos ahead, <laughs> and like yeah. they've got stuff. They've oh my got gosh, stuff that's like booked goals. and it, yeah, right. <laughs> um, we yeah, at Indie Mogul, uh, we'll have about two or three floating around at the same time, but it's because we got editors. Wow. So that's, that's a lot, nice. though. That's insane. I I only ever have like one at the most, and most of the time it's like the upload day is like the next day and I'm editing like the entire day to make it in time. <laughs> that's how most YouTubers are. And that's how I used to be when I was with Kantika, but at Indie Mogul, because there's so many people involved, we can just have one editor working on one, one editor working on another one, then I can do one. So, that's but amazing. you're, you're wow. final cut person, right? Yeah. Final cut all the way. Me too. I great. I'm glad to, we're aligned on that. Yeah. I, I had to use premiere a little bit, um, at, uh, this new job that I just got. And after just a couple of days, I was like, I can't do this. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just yeah, like no. so frustratingly slow. And I know I tried like to Sarah for a while. I couldn't. Sarah is the other way around. Like she is very hardcore premiere person. And then Justine is a big final cut person. Uh, Armando is a premiere guy. So like, it's really kind of split down the middle almost like there's yeah, really, definitely. there's not, there's not a right or wrong answer, but although I feel what, like Maybe Final Cut has gotten, like, maybe it's, like, a 55-45 now. Because, like, Final Cut, especially for tech, like, a lot of the creators use Mac. It's so much faster. It really is. I mean, Marquez is doing 8K raw video, you yeah. know, in Final Cut. So it's, it's just so much faster, and the workflow is so much better once you learn it. I think a lot of people are nervous if you're used to the way editing used to be. Like, when you switch to Final Cut, it is a little jarring. But um, once you learn it... it is and you can embrace it it's so powerful but one thing i um, feel like is like final cut maybe lacks a little bit of like the stuff that premiere is built in like i feel like premiere is a much better camera stabilizer um yeah, that's true much better like default color so like there are certain things like that but actually final cut in my opinion i don't know if you use plugins but i do use a ton of plugins and yeah i use it quite a bit that has changed my entire workflow. Like if I didn't have my, if I didn't have Final Cut, I'd be screwed for so many of my videos because I really use so many plugins. Like I use a text plugin, a camera plugin, like in terms of like adding artificial camera shake and stuff. Like mm. I have really invested in it. I've probably spent like $800 on just plugins alone. Um, <laughs> so at this point it'd be like impossible to switch, but I don't, I don't, honestly don't even think I want to. Like my first year of YouTube, I tried Premiere cause I wasn't really locked into Final Cut yet. And, um, it just wasn't for me. Like, there's a lot of capability for it, but I just feel like it's so much more clunky and slow in comparison to Final Cut. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I, uh, you know, I don't want to harp it too much because I know there's a lot of Premiere people that listen to this and they're probably rolling yeah, their eyes real hard right now. Yeah, we're going to get them heated right now. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it, I still use uh, Adobe for a lot of things, Lightroom, Photoshop, After Effects. Um, when I do now at Indie Mogul, like all our other editors use Premiere, so... Sometimes I'll, I love the fact that I can just right click a clip in the Premiere timeline and it, and send it to After Effects. And then I could do like some crazy like camera shake or uh, motion graphics and then go back to Premiere and then it like just transfers instantly. So like those types of things yeah. are really cool about Adobe. Yeah, the but software 
the software integration is definitely much better, I feel like, on Adobe in comparison to, um, like, Final Cut. Like, the fact that you can easily put a clip in After Effects, like you said, or, like, integrate with Photoshop or Lightroom. Or, or like, there are so many more capabilities. Like, if you're really invested in the Creative Cloud, then I think it's a much better it's choice. It's expensive, though. You pay yeah, for, it, it you definitely is expensive. In a year, you pay the same price as if you were to just buy Final Cut outright. I mean, it's... You know, you're paying five. You're you're paying fifty dollars a month for the Creative Cloud, and it's three hundred bucks for Final Cut. Crazy, know. yeah, I know. Final Cut's actually a great deal in comparison, uh, and also Motion, which is like kind of like the less powerful yeah. After Effects, is much cheaper as well. It's fifty bucks. Yeah, yeah, and it's like so expensive. I use Motion all the time to create custom um, like text. So, like, if you ever are dealing with like just putting text on the screen just straight up like lower third or in the middle center or whatever and you keep like you just drag the the default text um thing over and then you have to like change the font change the size change the position if you're finding yourself do that like over and over you can just go into motion create it with your text like in the area you want with the font that you want and then save it as a final cut effect and then it just is in Final Cut and you just drag and drop it and boom, you're done. It's wow, so really? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. That's actually, yeah, because I do that every single time. Wow, I'm going to definitely do that right after <laughs> this pod. So That's I'll, actually awesome. I'll wow. send you a, uh, I'll send you like a tutorial or something and you could just follow through. And then yeah, by doing that, once you do it one time in motion, it just is there in your own customs folder where the titles are in Final Cut. And you can just drag and drop it in and you have your lower third, your your center text, like whatever it is. And, that's amazing and, yeah wow that's actually so cool i mean it's such a simple thing but it like saves a ton of time <laughs> is there anything that you would like to add uh here at the end for our listeners people who are maybe inspired by you by what you do um something that you could just leave our listeners with at the end of this conversation uh who want to kind of do what you're doing sure first of all thank you so much for having me on this is like an incredible podcast you're like such a great host and just you're so talented so i I appreciate that a lot um thank you you. Uh, for anyone listening (laughs) if you follow my channel thank you so much for your support you literally give me my job like without you i would not be able to do this so you're like step one that makes this possible so thank you um if you're just listening to this and you don't follow me but you're like hey i kind of want to be into tech youtube totally start it's still not saturated to the point where you can't make it you definitely can the three things I would focus on are having a clear, different narrative than most people, which is easier said than done. Um, focus on your click-through ratio and your watch time as metrics to tell you if you're succeeding or if maybe you had a misstep. If your click-through ratio is high and your watch time is low, it means that you delivered a really interesting promise or you made a really interesting promise, but then you didn't deliver on it, which is why people left. If your click-through ratio and your watch time are both high. You did it. You gave a really interesting promise, and then you delivered. Um, and if your click-through issue is low, but then your watch time is high, you probably made a great video, but you didn't have a great thumbnail or title that was intriguing. So those two things will really help guide you, and those are the two things that I look at on a daily basis that help make my decisions. Um, and just go for it. You know, Don't focus too much on analytics or growth. Just get into it because you love it, and I think that you'll make it happen. I mean, here you are now. Uh, how old are you? Are you 19? Uh, I tur- I'm 18 right now. Yeah. Yeah. So you've been doing this since you were, how old were you when you started? How old was I? I must've been 14, I was 13. I think I was, 13. I was 13 and a half, maybe. It's amazing. So here you are 18 years old, been doing this already longer than most starting when you were 13 years old. 
really incredible journey that you've been on. And I can't wait to see the, the future of your channel and the future with this new product that you keep teasing me with. I have no idea what it is. Uh, so everybody go follow Jacqueline, especially on Twitter, because you're a good Twitter person. Oh, thank um, you. But yeah, I, I try to <laughs> post frequently on there. But you are everywhere at NBT Jacqueline, and that is J-A-C-K-L-Y-N. Nailed it. Yeah, that's right. Because everybody, like you said, might spell it differently, and that's okay. That's what YouTube tags are for. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the misspellings. But thank you so much, Jacqueline, for being on the show. It was a real honor to uh, to have you on. Thank and, you. Uh, yeah, good luck with everything with your podcast and with your future product and your YouTube channel. And we'll have to have you on maybe a year from now and see how everything went. <laughs> for sure. 100% down. Thank you again, man. Appreciate you. I hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with Jacqueline from the YouTube channel, Nothing But Tech. I highly urge you guys to check out all of her links in the show notes of this podcast. If you're not subscribed to her YouTube channel already, I highly recommend you do it. She always does camera comparisons with different phones. I don't want to say always because maybe she won't always do it, but it is something she's known for and they're very helpful if you're a photographer interested in the new phones and we all know the new iPhones are coming soon. So I'm sure she's going to be doing all sorts of reviews and comparisons with those new phones whenever they come out. In addition to her YouTube channel, make sure to check out her podcast, Digital Dive Podcast. We've linked that in the show notes as well and be on the lookout for her new product. Speaking of new products, again, I can't tell you how excited I am for these new Peter McKinnon VND Mark II filters, the Signature Edition, and the Mist Edition. You're going to want to go to PolarPro.com. Trust me on this, you're going to want to get one of these filters if you're a video shooter. And if you happen to have any questions about it, make sure to hit me up on Twitter at Dave Mays. I'll do my best to answer, or you can tweet Polar Pro as well. Once again, I'm your host, Dave Mays. This is the Golden Hour Podcast brought to you by the Polar Pro Studio, and we'll see you next week.